Assalamu alaikum. This is Kimberly Kalima, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the Radiant Brilliant Show podcast. This is going to be a relatively short one, but I just exited the movie theater from having watched Do the Right Thing, the 30-year anniversary of the release of the film. I was encouraged to go by my daughter, who is a huge Spike Lee fan, and if you don't know Spike Lee, you might want to hop on Google and look him up. From his early exploits of film, from She's Gotta Have It, to School Days, to Do the Right Thing, all the way to documentaries regarding the four little girls in Birmingham and the floods and the subsequent treatment of victims of Hurricane Katrina, Spike Lee has been on a road of storytelling and a journey for justice. I've been a big fan of his since I first saw, I believe it was uh, She's Gotta Have It, and then I saw School Days. So as a young adult, it was exciting to watch a a young African-American male who believed in himself to put his dreams on paper and then on celluloid and release it. There were lots of commentary regarding his style, which was very in your face. It was very picturesque and What I really liked, uh, he caught a lot of flack for mixing jazz in the scores. However, traditionally, films always had some type of classical music in the scores. And his, I believe, represented us in a, a very nice way culturally. When Do the Right Thing came out, I believe it was perfectly right on time. It was a wonderful thing to have Public Enemy on the score. And where else can you go to a movie and hear people speaking out against injustice? Um, not having their heroes or people they admired recognized and mistreatment by the police in their communities. Where? Without getting the side eye. In a Spike Lee film, that's where. So having Fight the Power as one of the most powerful tracks on that movie was something that was burned into my head to this day. Still listen to it every week. Public Enemy themselves were quite a force musically and lyrically during the resurgence in the early 90s of uh, black power and black consciousness and where we are as a society and our growth. The film opened with the black national anthem and that was a very sombering moment. It also opened with really, really bright colors and gave you a depiction of different residents in Bed-Stuy during one of the hottest days of the year. Now, That's where what I remember about the film from uh, an 18, 19 year old point of view stops because I am now uh, approaching 50, inshallah. And so what I saw then had a very different interpretation for me now. There was a great consideration to what the other characters were going through of the other ethnicities as opposed to my side and your side. This is about the right side. This is about doing the right thing. I appreciated now from having lived a little longer, um, having gone through some of those experiences or having seen people or known people and discussed with them some of the things that were very relatable now um, as a more mature adult that I may not have known about in the story then that may have seemed very far-fetched. However, the saddest part 
of the movie, along with uh, the main character, Radio Rahim, and what occurred to him. It was sad all over again. That broke me into pieces once I saw the movie originally. But now, 30 years later, the part that shook me up was that that was a fictional character. But there have been several uh, deaths by the hands of officers or law enforcement that could easily since then have been what his uh, his death was portrayed as. It instantly made me think of Eric Garner. It instantly made me think of Freddie Gray. And it uh, shook me to my core because this wasn't just a nonfiction story. And I thought to myself, either Spike Lee is a very prophetic filmmaker or he's very intuitive to the course of how things were going. Um, also, perhaps things have not really changed. So again, I, I my daughter encouraged me to go. She went with me and I was eager to discuss it afterwards because I knew that we were seeing it from two different lenses. Hers from a young aspiring filmmaker who admired Spike Lee and was excited to see one of his most noted and credited films um, in the big theater for the first time, get that entire experience. And for me to revisit something I had seen 30 years prior, not having known or experienced the things I had at that time, um, I was not expecting the emotional impact. I was not expecting the reverberation. I was not expecting how similar these stories were. Also, for those of us who saw this movie 30 years ago, there were quite a bit of characters or um, actors and actresses now that are people we know on a, a regular basis. Of course, Danny Aiello, who was already an established actor, it goes without saying, Ossie Davis and Ruby D. Very, very glad that they were in the movie because they lend credence to the authenticity of Spike, his good intentions to tell the story. And his directorial skills to have Ruby D and Ossie Davis in your film, believing in you as a new filmmaker, that kind of put the cement in it for me that it was going to be worth its salt. Um, Giancarlo Esposito is another actor who got his start. Um, I don't know. Originally, his very first movie was with Spike, but I know he's one of the actors I noticed in 88 and 89 associated with Spike, the great Spike Lee. Bill Nunn, who is no longer with us, I believe he passed away in 2016, also had a long acting career, but he was the uh, the Radio Rahim that a lot of this was centered around, you know, it was silently a beginning on the film and towards the end, the impact of his character literally exploded. John Turturro, there's another person that we've seen, Frankie Faison. Robin Harris, a legendary comedian, um, forgot that he was there. Spike's sister, Joie Lee, who he also featured in some of his other films. It's good to see her, too. There were so many people. Um, Rosie Perez, we cannot forget her impact, her dancing, um, her voice, her role. Speaking up for single mothers, you know, uh, Samuel Jackson. Did I already say Samuel Jackson? Samuel L. Jackson, consummate actor. Yeah, I remember seeing him in a few of Spike's early movies. This one, uh, Jungle Fever. Roger Gwenver Smith. Ooh, I remember him from this movie um, as Smiley. And I've seen him in so many other things from the movie Muslim to his portrayal of Huey P. Newton. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on. Uh, 
Martin Lawrence, a young, young, young Martin Lawrence also. And if it's some that I've kind of forgotten, I, I didn't mean to, but to see all of these people all over again, that are now people we just know. They've got their own established lists of um, acting and, and performances. It was just, it was quite a nice reminder. Also, at the end of the film, as you're watching the credits, because you're not quite ready to get up because you're still a little emotionally shook, the relevance of the film. Oh my goodness. I look at costumes, not realizing it was costumes because when I saw the movie, those were the clothes we were wearing. You know, the guys were rocking the flat tops and the girls we were wearing those clothes and the haircuts and all that. Ruth Carter. I saw Ruth Carter's name and all I have to say is Wakanda. Ruth Carter, Wakanda, look it up. But it was like a, a, a foretelling of these people being on the right side of history as them having started out, put their, their minds and their thoughts and ideas together to culminate into different stories and, and narrative that speak not only to us, but to other people's um, sensibilities, ethics and morals. Another thing that I, I'd like to mention that was in the film, Spike has a way of slipping in uh, by virtue of his ability to do so mentioning other relevant things, uh, the mention of Howard Beach again, the mention of uh, Howard Beach. If you don't know about that situation, you might want to go look up the incidents of uh, the murder of Michael Griffin, Howard Beach, um, the writing on the wall with Tawana Brawley about uh, Tawana Brawley told the truth. That was another controversial story regarding police violence, uh, a brutality that brought a lot of leaders, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, people who were at the forefront of speaking for justice at that time back into, into, our, into our view, into our scope, into our vision. Watching the Radio Raheem scene, I don't know how it could not remind people of what happened with Freddie Gray. I don't know how it could not remind people of Eric Garner. And again, either Spike Lee is prophetic or he was incredibly intuitive to what could continue if we did not change our course of thought or our course of action. So I'll be processing my thoughts on having seen this again uh, for the 30 year celebration. Congratulations to Mr. Spike Lee and all the people who were involved that stuck by their guns, their vision their budget, and the veterans who lend a hand and say, hey, this young cat's got a story to tell. You know, he's doing what he can. Let me put my efforts forth. Let me lend my credence to, to what he's doing. Shout out to them. And I just pray that for all the young or old filmmakers who are out here trying to get their story told, trying to bring a narrative to celluloid, that people come together in much the way that occurred with Spike Lee over the years, Big, 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 top, top names had his back. Sometimes you don't find out until years and years later who some of those people were. But, you know, nobody has to know on the front end. Just help get these stories out. We've got some brilliant minds uh, behind the ink pens, behind the laptops, behind the scores. We've got some brilliant minds behind the photographers. We've got brilliant minds behind the designers, sets, clothes, graphics, and a unity, a coming together of support, basically, is really all that we need. His films going as far as they have, 
did not begin with the moviegoers paying for the ticket. It started with a vision and a dream, him believing himself and other people linking up to say, hey, I believe in you too. So inshallah, that's something that can continue. I sincerely pray that the revisit of Do the Right Thing is a trend for many films that were released several years ago that are very relevant to today or that have possible resolution that we revisit them and they become discussions not only at coffee tables or in break rooms at jobs, but in colleges, in high schools, in junior high schools. Very relevant topics and situations. If you haven't seen Black Klansman by Spike Lee, you may want to check that out. That one pretty much came full circle for not only his style of telling a story, his cinematic skills that he used, his version of um, true events to the film to make it engaging enough for you to at least sit through and whether you agree with or not to talk about it. So this was my quick little blurb regarding my reaction to having seen Do the Right Thing Again 30 years later. It was extremely, extremely emotional and not nostalgic in the way that made me want to get up and dance. It reminded me of some of the things that were actually going on then that are still going on now and the movie challenges us all to do the right thing i want to thank you so much for listening to my little rant and i hope you were able to get something good from it you can find me on instagram at trbs podcast on facebook at the radiant brilliant show and on twitter as team uma if you'd like to be a guest or you have uh, some topics you'd like me to discuss shoot me an email the Radiant Brilliant Show at gmail.com or Kimberly Kalima at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Glad you took the time to listen to me. And I look forward to having another conversation with you soon. Assalamu alaikum.